Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Kevin Dagenet from Cascadia Scientific to talk about haul truck fuel monitoring. We discuss the savings available by using that data for mine site optimization, PM timing, operator training, and other benefits. This episode is sponsored by Cascadia Scientific. And if you'd like to learn more about their platform, go to robsreliability.com slash Cascadia to learn more. With that sponsorship, you get a special offer. And the special offer is if you sign up through robsreliability.com slash Cascadia, you're going to receive double the consulting credits, plus you'll receive a one-hour coaching call with me. So we can talk about reliability. We can talk about how you would use the data. It's up to you. And if you get through a good pilot project for over six months to a year, I will have you back on the show. If you're interested, I'll have you on the show with Kevin and we can talk about the findings, the results, the benefits, the challenges, basically your entire story around the project and definitely get some use cases out there. So I I hope you take that offer. Go to robsreliability.com slash Cascadia. Sign up today. Now let's get rolling. Here's the interview with Kevin Dagenet. Hey guys, we're back and we're here. Special guest today, Kevin Dagenet, the CEO at Cascadia Scientific. Now before we get into it, this episode is sponsored by Cascadia Scientific. And if you want a special offer for fuel monitoring on your mining haul trucks, Go to robsreliability.com slash Cascadia for more information. Now, just before we get into it, the offer is going to include a bonus session of coaching with me, as well as some extra consulting hours with Cascadia. Now, Kevin, do you want to just walk people into that offer and just kind of explain it a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So our services is typically provided as a a platform subscription and, and every year, um, our subscribers benefit from the provision of all of the necessary instrumentation, um, all of the connectivity and access to our, our tools um, online and otherwise. Uh, but we also provide a number of, of unbilled um, consulting and customization hours as a credit. And so as, as part of this offer, um, we'd be adding additional hours um, to, to the platform. Awesome. Yeah. And I, and I mean, obviously, as I, and I wanted to throw this offer in as well, because I think it's cool is if you guys run a successful program with Cascadia, we'll have you on as well as Kevin in maybe a year's time. And then we can talk about like, what's the outcome of the results on this show, if you're willing to share those outcomes with us. Now, let's get into it. So Kevin, you know, we've talked a little bit about like what the offer is, you know, and and obviously we're talking about measuring fuel consumption on like on haul trucks. Do you want to just give us a breakdown of like what's the benefit of this and like tell us a little bit about Cascadia Scientific? Sure. Yeah. So Cascadia Scientific, uh, we're a company based in Vancouver. Um, and as our primary offering, we, we provide a digital platform that combines high accuracy on equipment fuel measurement. So this is 
This is measurement of the fuel across the engine. Um, and then additional sensing. So for example, we have uh, altimeters built in, which help us characterize vertical travel. Uh, we tie into the vehicle networks. Uh, we integrate with machine learning tools. And then we just use all of this information to help our subscribers pursue a growing list of efficiency and business improvement initiatives. So, so that's our, like that's the, our main pitch. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's a lot there and, and like, especially like when I, I used to work in mining, obviously, and we were using fuel burn that, that the ECM, like the computer on the engine calculates. And, and it, and we were using it for a few different things. Mainly we were using it to understand like what's the actual quote unquote age of the engine as well as like the loading parameters. So, you know, depending on like loaders typically were operated at a higher capacity than a haul truck. Do you want to just kind of explain like, how is it different than, you know, your direct measurement and what are some other different ways that people are using and why they're like less accurate or not accurate? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it really gets, it gets right down to the heart of our value proposition. So, you know, purely in terms of accuracy, the most accurate way to measure the fuel that's going into a, into a haul truck is going to be doing a tank fill measurement. So measuring the fuel that's flowing into the tank. Uh, you only, you know, the fuel passes through a single meter one time. It's really quite easy to do. Um, on equipment metering would provide a very close second, strictly in terms of accuracy. And then an ECM fuel use estimate, which is really just based on kind of some math that says if I open my injector for this many milliseconds or microseconds, I expect this much atomized fuel to pass through the orifice. Um, so that's kind of the order of, of accuracy. But um, the thing that you have to keep, keep track of is that the, the other part of it too is repeatability. Uh, and then also the frequency of measurement. So, you know, accuracy is not the whole story. So it, as I mentioned, if tank fill measurement is the most accurate, the problem with tank fill measurement is you get one sample or one measurement per day or per shift. And of course, if you're looking to dive deep uh, and understand how your consumption is impacted by various factors, such as who the operator is or what pit you're coming out of or what the underfoot conditions are um, or, or anything else you're looking to establish, it's very hard to make those assertions if you're limited to a single sample per day and that sample has um, no connection to the activities performed. And, and so when you, when you look at on equipment measurement, you, know, you, you get effectively you know, comparable accuracy to that, to that tank fill measurement. Which, which vastly outperforms ECM estimates, um, but you get the frequency of measurement that you'd have from the ECM side. You can take samples as often as you like. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And now maybe like how often should those measurements happen? Yeah, so that's, that's something that we spend a lot of time um, you know, balancing on. So what we've done is, is generally, we use our data to train, to, to train and run statistical models. Okay, and those models are used to tell us to make you know, fuel use prediction forecasts to establish the, the impact of very specific factors in the mine, whether it's the, the impact of a grade or the impact of, a, of an operator. And so what we need to do is we need to sample data often enough to construct observations to train our models. Now, in the case of a, of a hull truck, the, the atomic observation that we use for model training is a hull cycle. So what that means is that we need to take a, a fuel, a total fuel use measurement sample um, at the beginning of a haul cycle, which is typically keyed off by a dump event. Um, we take another sample that's triggered by a loading event. And then, of course, we end the sample with the subsequent dumping event. OK, and so by taking those three sample points, 
we can characterize every hull cycle in terms of the kinds of characteristics that are relevant. So this would be total fuel use loaded, total fuel use unloaded, um, total tonnage, total ton miles, uh, the, the amount of time and distance traveled in both configurations, um, you know, even, you know, things like vertical travel. So all of these things can be captured with that three measurements, um, that three measurement philosophy. Okay. Um, in addition, we do other use cases. For example, something that we do is, is um, fuel intensity heat mapping. And maybe we'll talk a bit more about that later, but we construct a, a map of the mine that shows where your fuel hotspots are. And to do that measurement, we're typically sampling about once every 10 seconds. Yeah, that's interesting. And maybe maybe let's let's like let's talk about the heat maps now. So that's obviously one of the you know one of the core things that you guys do. And really, you're measuring basically how much fuel consumption there is per meter. Now, do you want to like do you want to break that down and kind of kind of give us an example maybe of of why that's valuable? Sure. Yeah. So you know, we we started this work. It was it was purely on the request of a customer, and and generally speaking, our our customer driven initiatives tend to have the most impact, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, so we had, we had a customer that wanted to identify you know areas of the mine that could benefit from uh, from road maintenance, and so we started by um, taking samples of of the fuel consumption rate, which is typically reported as consumption per time, liters per hour, for example. Um, and, and so we built this map and then we kind of laughed when we saw the result is that the entire map was made up of two colors. Uh, and so one of the rates that we saw very regularly um, was the the full load consumption rate. Uh, and then we the other load, you know, the other rate we saw was kind of the idle or downhill travel rate. So there really <laughs> wasn't very much useful information. And what we came to establish is that is that in, in, a, in, a, in a hard rock environment where you're traveling down long, deep ramps, what typically happens is the driver is foot to the floor when he's climbing into the pit. And so the thing that actually varies is not so much the, the fuel consumption per hour. And while that does vary a little bit, um, what, what tends to vary is the speed the truck travels. So we started looking at fuel consumption per meter of travel rather than per unit time. And then as soon as we did that, the map told a very different story. And so now the heat map is, is, a, is a rendering that kind of shows Hot, hotter areas um, on, on flat ground or, or climbing ramps. Uh, but then you can really quickly identify visually um, areas where, um, where the fuel intensity is kind of peaking and getting into those hot reds and, 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 um, you know, and, and dark crimsons. And so you know, our, in our first experience, uh, we highlighted five of those points to the first customer that ran this, this use case. Um, and then they, they chose one of those five points as their first to attack. And what they discovered was that um, on, on the way into a dump, there, there was kind of a dip and then a climb. And then that climb out of the dip um, was well above their targeted ramp grade. And so by kind of using dozers and graders to fill in that dip and smooth things out, um, they were able to bring that area right back into a kind of a cool blue um, targeted fuel consumption. So it's, it's been quite impactful. Yeah, and that's one thing. Like when I was working in mining, we were looking at bringing on some of sensor data and I was looking at, like I was doing some financial analysis on like bumps in the road and you really find that graders are just ridiculously important because like if your roads are flat and straight, you can drive faster, the safety's better, your fuel consumption's low, like there's so much, there's so much positive impact for that. There's a big impact on, on operator health as well, right? So they, they take a good shake even on the best of roads on those haul trucks. And if you can smooth things out, you know, you do your, your operator's backs a big favor as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Kevin, you know, we talked a little bit about fuel intensity, heat maps. Do you want to give us some other 
you know, what other things could we find in this fuel data? Sure. So, you know, when, when, this, when this offering was first put together, it was actually put together as a sales support tool for a different initiative of a, of a, of a different company. Um, and, and so in, in the first, you know, at the outset, the technology was used to prove the benefit of a change that was made to a truck. In this case, the change that was made was, was uh, a modification of engine control strategy. Um, but the next, the next, you know, kind of customer to the party um, were some of the world's largest fuel and lube producers. And so some of these household names um, that, that, you know, not only produce fuel for mines, but also for your car at the, at the local shop, um, they wanted to demonstrate to their mining customers that uh, premium fuels and lubes actually deliver an efficiency gain. And so they engaged our, our platform um, to make that kind of a measurement. So, so one of the first things we can help with is, is uh, establishing the, the impact attributable to some change you'd want to make in your environment. So that can be fuel, it can be lube, it can be tires. Um, we're agnostic to what's being changed. Um, but we can use the measurement tools and, and a, a, a strategy or an experiment protocol to identify attributable impacts of certain changes you make. So that was the first one. Um, the next big initiative we undertook really came down to, um, to an operator initiative. Uh, this was done for a large mine in Latin America. And they, they wanted to do two things. The first thing they wanted to do was they wanted to establish if, um, if simulation-based operator training was going to have an impact. Uh, and then they also wanted to understand how they could use fuel measurements after the training was completed to, to establish a performance management system. So incentivizing positive outcomes, okay? Uh, and, and so really what the results showed is, is that first and foremost, they showed a very strong correlation between um, improved efficiency um, and, and operators who had, had completed the training. So that was a very good outcome. Uh, and the second thing, it allowed us to establish the opportunity that was available that was associated to operator behavior. So in this particular mine, the, the total span of efficiencies that were operator dependent was actually about 7%. Um, so the best operator was around about um, 3% better than the average. Uh, and the worst operator on the roster was about 4% worse than the average. Now, in terms of the actual opportunity there, um, if every operator improved their habits to operate as good as the best, um, the opportunity for this mine was 2.7% to the good. So that's, that, I mean, that, that really moves the needle in terms of cost when you look at what these mines are spending on fuel. Uh, a 2.7% reduction in fuel through nothing but a change in the attitude and behavior of operators um, is really impactful. Uh, you know, we talked about heat maps. Um, you know, we do look at efficiency of, of older versus newer engines to, uh, to look at strategies for remanufacture timing. Um, we do a lot of work with PM intervals. Um, and so that one's been really kind of a, a late addition and it's been a lot of fun. Um, what we do with that is, is any mine that's looking at, for example, an engine hour approach to, to scheduling um, preventive maintenance, um, what we like to do is say, okay, let's, let's have a look and see how, how closely engine hours are tied with um, you know, energy output, okay? Or en energy conversion, which really comes down to fuel burn. And what we can often show is that sometimes these values aren't very closely related at all. And that the mine could significantly benefit from a strategy that uses hard caps on both hours and fuel. And if you do this properly, you can typically um, safely push out the hard cap on time, as long as you keep the hard cap on fuel at an appropriate level. Uh, for one mine we looked at recently, we were looking at an average reduction in PM intervals um, of about 14%. Uh, and this meant that, and, and they maintained a hard cap on, on hours that was about 20% higher than their current strategy. Um, but we introduced a hard cap on fuel. So, you know, these are the kinds of things we do on the maintenance side. Um, and then on the, on the mine planning side, we build very, very powerful predictive models. So you can take our models, 
you can say, hey, I'm going to be two benches deeper next year, run the model uh, and see how much more fuel it's going to take, how much longer it's going to take a, a, a haul cycle to make a round trip, how much less tons I'm going to move. So these are the kinds of things we do. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of value there. Like, like if we go back to the operator training and you talk about, you know, roughly 2% reduction, it, like you just coming back from where I was, you know, we were, we were burning roughly, it was about 50 gallons of fuel per hour. So you're saving one gallon per hour per truck right there. And that, that adds up pretty quick. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, in this case, it was 2.7, so closer to three, but, but you, I mean, yes, even at two, I mean, you know, the, the way we, the way we price our platform, you know, first of all, we, we like to bring our customers uh, a lot of, a lot of benefit in terms of, of machine learning and, and statistical analysis that they may not have in-house capacity for. Um, but in general, we're looking for a, a break even of around about half a percent. So if we can save the customer about half a percent, uh, then all the rest is to the good. And that's if they put the equipment on everything. Uh, if, if you put the equipment on a subset and then make decisions for the whole fleet based on that subset, I mean, then the economy just becomes, um, I mean, it's, it's very, very easy to, to generate value. The one sort of caveat to that is depending on what that subset is, like you mentioned that there's an efficiency of newer engines versus older engines. Like, do you want to talk more a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, so, so we, we have done some of this work. I mean, I'll be honest, we haven't done a comprehensive study that that has statistical significance that will tell you how much more efficient a new engine is to an old engine so you know i, I don't have that information at the ready um but we we have seen more anecdotally that when when we have a set of engines um, when an engine comes back from a reman we do typically see uh you know a, a performance bump an efficiency bump and, and i think that stands to reason no one's going to be surprised by that by that outcome um but but again i mean you know one of the things we talk about is is maintain to efficiency so for example if you have if you have a reman bay or, or you have a reman contract and you're going to remanufacture one engine, you can look at your fleet, look at the subset of engines that might be getting close to a remanufacture interval. And then you can say, okay, which of these engines are the least efficient? Uh, and, and then by doing that, by, by effectively attacking the, the least efficient assets, you can raise the net efficiency of your entire operation. Yeah, absolutely. That's something. And, and I guess I wanted to dig a little bit more into, you know, recommending PMs. Uh, well, recommending PM intervals, like over my career, I've seen it done a few different ways. Uh, one of the ways was, you know, using it based on operating hours. Like that's typically the most common you see, whether that's 250 or 500, or I've seen 750 and 1,000 as well. Um, or, you know, it's one of the sites, it was really because the, the truck frames were kind of in poor condition and they had to weld them very often and so it was like that was kind of limiting how long they could push the pms and then also i've seen like obviously used to work in oil analysis and you know we were doing it based on oil analysis results so you know what's the base number what's the contamination level those types of things like how do you recommend we kind of balance that with fuel burn yeah so everything everything you're saying is, is you know one of those things will be brought up every time i raise this with a customer so one of the challenges we have is, is culture. And so we, we definitely are not advocating a complete departure from what's been done and what's generally been working in the space historically, right? So, you know, we're not, we're not coming to be a disruptor in that sense. Um, you know, sometimes I hear from customers, well, we're at high altitude, so we can't, you know, we have to maintain sooner or, or what have you. But our, our, our case or our idea fundamentally is that uh, a truck that's parked 
um, and, and idling and, and running up its hour counter, okay, is, is has, it, there's a fundamentally different impact of that time spent idling than the time you spent climbing a ramp or rolling on a pit, whether it's to the chassis or it's to the engine or to the lubes. I mean, all of these things are impacted differently when the truck is rolling than when the truck is sitting still. And so there are certain things that are going to be affected even, even per perhaps even, even worse when the truck is at idle. I know, for example, there are certain components that don't like idling. Um, but, it, but in general, um, if, if you look at ours as your fundamental building block or guiding, guiding light for scheduling maintenance, the, the underlying assumption that you're making implicitly without even thinking about it is that an hour um, is the same all the time. An hour is an hour. And of course, anyone in the mining space would accept that, that an hour of idling and an hour of hauling up a hill is very different. <laughs> and, and so what we're, what we're suggesting is that there is, there, is a, there is a middle ground where you can keep using hours um, as, as a hard stop. Uh, you can use fuel burn to... Um, improve the sophistication and improve the the accuracy of of, of the need for maintenance. Uh, and and by the way, you know you mentioned um, oil condition monitoring, which is which is incredible. I th I think um, there's a few things there. I think a lot of the that, I think that market that space is going to be moving towards a sensor based approach. In fact, it's already happening. I know of two specific independent initiatives where yeah. where companies are actually looking to get away from a sample uh, a sample mail and analyze and report approach to an actual um, sensing on engine or sensing in, in the actual lube reservoirs to report on these kinds of things. Um, so, so absolutely anything that we do with, with making a recommendation for, a, for an interval extension um, in combination with, with fuel burn, we also tie in any available um, oil condition monitoring. And the first thing we do is we look to establish that the correlation between fuel, uh, oil contamination is more closely aligned with fuel consumption than it is with operating hours. And once we can make that case, then then convincing a customer this is the right approach gets a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's like one of the core aspects of reliability, right? It, it's not necessarily like like when I when I look at components and I try to judge like how long they're going to last, I'm always looking for that. What's that thing that actually affects the life cycle? And it's typically not time. It's some sort of operating or, you know, like, you know, in a, in a case of a pump or something, it's like how many gallons did it pump? And, you know, even even like Caterpillar, like if you ask them how long their engine's supposed to last, they'll give you the answer in fuel burn, not in hours. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think, I think that right there should, should, should go a long way to describing why, why this makes some sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, now Kevin... Like obviously, I've 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 dealt with a lot of lubricant suppliers, and I've heard these claims that synthetic lubricants reduce fuel consumption over a standard mineral oil. Do you have any data for that, or do you have any input on that? Uh, I have data on that, yes, but I don't have uh, have data that I can share in this in this kind of a venue. But I certainly wouldn't <laughs> discourage anyone from considering a migration to a synthetic lubricant, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so if if you want that data, you're gonna to have to run a pilot at your site, <laughs> or 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 possibly engage. You know, I I can point you to some people that might that might you know give you some more information on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Kevin, like another thing that that I've always found, at least on the reliability side with these engines, is if we if we see like an uptick in fuel usage that we have injector issues. Like, is that something that you guys are looking at as well? Or is there any other maintenance problems that we can detect with fuel use? 
Yeah, I mean, so if if we see a step change, you know, so if there is a step change in fuel consumption, um, the the portal will certainly tell you that, as will our our periodic reports. So, you know, if you're logging into our web portal, you would see visually an uptick in in consumption. Um, you can look at consumption per hour. You can look at consumption per ton kilometer. You can look at consumption per cycle. It's it's really up to you. But if you start to see a step change in one asset, yeah, that would be a good indication that you should maybe consider maintenance. In my experience, sometimes if if a truck keeps rolling and it's not throwing a code, sometimes it, you know, again, we talk about culture. It can take some some real uh, it takes real support at the highest levels of the business, so that somebody in the maintenance job, you know, bay who's got a very a very difficult task of of prioritizing and keeping running, to go and look for a problem that might be kind of nebulous if all he knows is fuel consumption has gone up. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there is an opportunity there, but I think, uh, you know, along with the data that says, hey, a problem has has evolved or developed, um, you know, there it requires kind of um, the initiative from the site to say, hey, I'm going to invest maintenance time to try to recapture that efficiency. Um, and, and so th there is a give and take there for sure. So you, you've kind of brought up culture a few times, like with some of your successful customers, what types of, like, how, how did they implement it? What type of culture did they have? Like, what support did they get? Yeah, I mean, in our, in our experience, the kind of the, the you know, kind of the, the, the mid-tier, the mid-tier mining companies, they, they tend to be in a really, in a really nice, in a really nice space for a few reasons. Number one, they typically tend to be very open to collaboration um, with, with other mines of, of similar sizes and other businesses of similar sizes. Um, so they're, they're, they're often open to, to collaborate and open, and open to sharing. Um, they're also, they're, they're able to move more quickly than say a mine, uh, you know, that, that would fall under the umbrella of say a Rio Tinto or an Anglo-American, you know, the, the, the big, big companies, because they're going to be subject to, um, you know, getting, getting approval and buy-in, not just at the site level, but also at the higher levels. Uh, but then, you know, in terms of specifically of culture, you know, really you have to have a mine that, that sees the value in, in data and is actually prepared to, um, to, to leverage that data to their benefit. So, you know, the, the, the one kind of claim you might hear if you're, if you're in a job like mine is, is, you know, I've heard it said, no one gets taller by being measured. And of course that's true. Um, you know, what has to happen here is, is after the measurement is taken and, and the elements or attributes of your operation have been identified that are, that are opportunities for improvement, you need to have the people that are prepared to take initiative and make changes based on what the data is telling you to do. And so when I talk about culture, it's the willingness to take the step from the data is telling you to do this. You now have to change the way you train your operators or change the way you schedule maintenance or change the way you procure fuel um, to, de to derive benefit. And, and sometimes the people who are the data champions of a business may not have control over all those other aspects of the business. So you do need to have either a, a high enough champion in the organization that can that can bring the team along. It's always better to have someone who is um, a consensus builder that can make people want to come along and participate in a in a in an initiative that's going to save money and increase profitability and increase um, sustainability and reduce the environmental impact. Um, but if you know, but failing that, you know, you can do it by by pushing things down, which of course is not the preferred approach. But you need to have one of those two things working for you because data alone isn't a solution. Um, you need data, you need recommendations for improvement, and you need the people on the ground who are engaged and prepared to take action based on what the data says. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we see pop up on this show so often is people identify improvement projects, 
but then they struggle in the implementation side, so they never actually capture the value. It's just sort of out there in the ether. Yeah, so you know, so, so we, we really do, you know, anytime we start a pilot, for example, um, before we start a pilot, one of the things that I make sure we have established is what is the opportunity that you've identified that you want to try to capture. So if a customer thinks of a pilot as an opportunity to see our gear and kick the tires, that's fine. And that's, that's a valid concern that someone might have. You know, what is the software quality like? What is the, what is the opportunity for support? But what I really want them to focus on in that pilot as well is let's pick an initiative. Let's find an opportunity. Let's solve a problem. Let's, let's determine our, our ability to actually capture downstream benefit. Uh, and if you can then, if you can then kind of set that cycle up, um, then you can just keep, keep rolling it out to different opportunities with the mindset. Yeah, I love it. And I guess maybe like, what are some of those, like, I know we talked about the, the kind of the, the basics of what, what the platform can do, but what are some of the like most common things that people go after in that pilot project? Sure. So, you know, uh, really uh, the ones we've talked about are probably the most common. So, um, modeling efficiency of trucks, um, looking at, at maintenance scheduling, um, looking to see if some, if some thing that they can buy or some fluid they can purchase is going to have a, an upside in terms of efficiency. Um, these are all the kinds of things that we do, you know, during a, during a pilot project. Um, but in, in terms of what the portal can do, so the, the portal is designed to kind of show you where your fuel is going in your organization. So it'll, it'll, it's kind of hierarchical. So you can look at you know, if you were a really big company, you would have, for example, a division, um, and then you would have mines, then you would have fleets within that mine, and you can drill right down to the to the individual asset. And at every level, you would kind of see a distribution of where the fuel is going. Uh, you would see, you know, efficiency rates, um, and then as well as, as production rates. So how many tons have removed, how many cycles performed, uh, how many vertical meters and so forth. Um, but what's what we actually do in terms of how we how we set up our, our development pipeline is when I sit down with a customer, if they have an, an initiative that I think is interesting and has merit, which, you know, than me in almost every case, you know, what we do is, is we, we attack it um, with kind of offline analysis. So our data scientists will, will crunch numbers in Python or in other tools outside the portal. And then we'll support the customer with reporting, direct reports or, or, or meetings or consultation. And then what we do is, is if we believe that the use case has, has relevance or has utility beyond this individual customer, then the automation of that whole interaction gets queued up in our roadmap for our development platform. And so that's kind of how things work. So for example, I mentioned that the use case heat mapping, um, so that's right now being developed for automation in the portal, whereas today a subscriber would receive those, those heat maps as a weekly report. Cool, yeah, really cool. Yeah, and I mean, like, obviously data, I mean, the more data that you have, as long as you have people who are looking at it who are somewhat intelligent, you can find a lot of value, at least in mining that I've seen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, we, we have, we have a, you know, we have a, a data science team. Um, there's a guy, David, on my team. He's, he's a PhD in, in, in data science, and it's, it's really quite, uh, it's quite remarkable. I didn't realize just how much could be done uh, until he kind of uh, showed us the way. You know, you've touched on a little bit of the bringing in the altimeter and stuff like, are you bringing in other data? Like, are you hooking up to the UCM and all the other sensors or how does, like, what does that look like? Yeah. So, so in terms of where we source our data, so, that they, so that the first and probably most key differentiator for our service is of course the on equipment fuel measurement. Um, but in addition, we have some other additional direct sensing that we bring, you know, natively with our, with our, with our equipment. Uh, so the first is an, is an on chip altimeter. 
um, which measures, you know, vertical travel. And it's, it's, it's got like a 10 centimeter sensitivity. Um, and so this lets us establish the vertical travel and the loaded vertical travel. Uh, and, and what we've, what we've identified is that um, there is no stronger indicator of total engine intensity or fuel burn than the number of vertical meters that are traveled that, that, out, that, that outstrips distance and time um, and payload uh, in terms of predicting fuel consumption. It's, it pulls the hardest. Okay. Um, the next thing we have is, is we have a nine axis motion sensor, which allows us to measure grade. Um, you know, so that's pitch angle, bank angle. Um, and, and this gets very useful for identifying areas of, the, of, of a ramp or areas of, of a mine that are, that are, that are graded improperly. Um, or even establishing what an ideal ramp angle would be based on your specific trucks, your specific loading and so forth. Um, the next thing we bring in is GPS. Uh, the, the latest design is going to bring in um, high precision GPS, um, which, which again is, is probably an incremental improvement, but still useful. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned ECM data. So, uh, you know, we bring in CAN bus for anything that runs CAN. So that's going to be Komatsu's, anything with a Cummins engine, um, and some of the new the newer cats, things like the C175 have CAN bus. Uh, we also have native support for Komatsu PLM that lets us bring in uh, payload tonnages and, and cycle states um, for cat for cat trucks. So anything that's a 3500 series. Um, so like from a 3508 up to a 3524, uh, we have integration for CDL or cat data link. Uh, and this lets us bring in um, engine hours and, and engine speeds, uh, as well as payload tonnages and so forth. So, you know, anything we land on, you know, we're typically able to plug in and, and, and pull the data that's required to, to understand not just how much fuel is being used, but how much useful work is being performed. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I guess like you're you're adding components to the, the truck. And sometimes I've seen that, like obviously mining is a very harsh environment. Like how how's your product sort of made a controller that withstands the the hard work of mining yeah i mean that, that that's a good question i mean and, and that, that question actually goes to a whole lot of the effort that's gone into this um so you know the, fir the first thing is is when you're designing a product for mining you want to make sure of a few things you want to make sure that a failure of your device is not going to take a truck out of service and so i can say matter of factly that that if, if a controller breaks the, the truck carries on working um, as you would expect that and that's probably the most important concern for these for these mining customers the second thing is serviceability so we've designed the, the system so that really any part that fails um can be can be direct swapped and so because we provide this platform as a service um the customer isn't responsible for carrying the cost of anything that failed um through you through the normal course of operation okay so we would typically provide on-site spare parts if something breaks we diagnose it remotely we send the, the staff on site notification that a certain component needs to be replaced. Uh, they would replace it from their on site spare parts, either with an in field service tech doing a, a job in, in typically um, well under an hour, you know, often less than half an hour. Um, otherwise, they can queue it up to be done the next time the machine comes down for service. But in terms of making sure that these things aren't happening on a regular basis, um, you know, really what we've done is is we've done a lot of ruggedization and, and we've just tried to do things that that have had success for other people. There was no need to reinvent the wheel here. Um, so our, our enclosure is a Deutsch enclosure. All of our, all of our connectors are, are Deutsch, uh, Deutsch connectors. Uh, our, our, you know, we use the same loom that you'd see on an OE, on an OE harness um, from Caterpillar. That's the same, the same wire types and things. Uh, and then any place where you've identified a weakness, we typically um, incrementally design out. So I mentioned that we're, we're changing our GPS strategy. 
Uh, and that was because we had a GPS radio inside of our controller um, and we had to bring an RF signal back to the controller. And RF signals, they don't do well traveling long distances. And if you have a, you know, an RF harness, it was, it was not very well um, suited to the mining environment. So what we've done for our new design is we've actually put the radio at the end of the antenna and we bring the data back by CAN bus. Uh, and so that way we're using you know, the kinds of harnesses you would expect to see on a mining truck. Uh, and the radio and, and all of the RF um, components are buried, you know, in, in an inch of encapsulant. Um, so it's completely isolated from the, from the, from the, from the environment. So, you know, it, it's, it's just been an incremental approach. Um, but what we can say is when we started this, uh, the first thing we did was we bought commercially available parts from, from people that do a lot of this work for marine and power gen. So stationary process type environments that are not mobile mining. Um, we would buy these parts and slam them into Pelican cases and, and surround them with other data loggers and controllers and things. Uh, and I can tell you now that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't work. And so whenever we encounter a customer that says, hey, I agree, there's lots of value here, but we're going to try to go it alone. I say, hey, just keep my number. And, and, <laughs> and, and dollars to donuts, you'll be calling me back, you know, in, in six months when you come to the same conclusion that I did, which is buying commercially available products um, that was designed for process environments and using it in mining is not a good solution. I've definitely seen that a lot in mining. It's a we'll we'll try to figure it out ourselves type of type of people. <laughs> and our our strategy there is that if some our strategy is actually to be to to fall all over ourselves to be helpful, give them give them recommendations, give them advice, and, and be seen as as a as as a a kindred spirit in, in the effort for for high actually fuel measurement. Um, but fundamentally, it's not about how much help or support we can provide. It's that the equipment has to be suited to the task. Awesome. So Kevin, you know, the last question I got for you, what are your top takeaways for listeners about the benefits of fuel measurement? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about fuel measurement, the thing that I, I try to remind customers is that uh, of all the fuel that's being burned, probably 90 for 90% of it is kind of a sunk cost with no opportunity. And that, you know, in, in the sense that you've got to move the material, you know, you've got to load it, you've got to carry, you've got to move it. Uh, and there is going to be, you know, a total amount of energy that, that, that can't be avoided or recovered. Okay. But in that last 10%, there's lots of opportunity and the key to establishing and, and um, exploiting those opportunities is being able to, to, you know, adequately measure what you're consuming um, and then being able to attribute uh, how different parts of your operation influence those numbers and then identifying what to attack next. And, and so that's, that's really where we've, um, where we tried to design our service. And again, I think any of these initiatives, it requires, it requires a conversation. And so we're really trying to be, you know, a company that's responsive and, and available to listen to our customers and help them through um, these very important initiatives. And, you know, and I think also um, we're really excited about the, sustain the sustainability impact, obviously, you know, that's going to be a, a bigger and growing part of the importance of any of, of any corporate culture. Um, and mining is no exception. And so we're, we're happy to be um, hopefully something that, that can help in this effort. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, conversation. Now, where can people find more about you and about Cascadia Scientific? Like, are you going to be at any conferences in 2020? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I recently spoke at Truck and Shovel in, in Singapore. Um, I'm, I've got abstracts submitted and I'm hoping to hear back soon from CIM as well as from Mine Expo for this year. Um, so with any luck, I'll be speaking at both of those shows. Um, otherwise, I will be at those shows to, to meet people. Um, 
but you know, if, if the opportunity is right and if I can align travel to, to the right, to the right, um, the right timing, you know, I'd be happy to come and, and pay visits to different customers and, uh, they can find more information certainly at our website, which is cascadiascientific.com. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and if, if you, if there's a way for you to, to share my contact info, either my telephone number or email, I'd be very happy for you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll put your, your email in the podcast notes. And so, if, and then obviously on LinkedIn, you'll be tagged in all the posts. So if, if people are listening and you want to get a contact with Kevin, just either check the podcast notes or if you came through LinkedIn, he'll be in the post. Perfect. Awesome. No, Kevin, I, I appreciate you coming on today and, you know, sharing the knowledge. And I do, like, I do absolutely agree. There's like fuel, there's huge amounts of savings in you know proper data analysis and just like like mining <laughs> i always joke and i say like if you don't if you don't save your company at least a million bucks like just by falling down and seeing it like you're doing something wrong so there there's tons of money out there so i hope i hope i hope people you know they cut they check it like they listen to this and then they reach out to you and and again i mean we'll just we'll just close off on this is you know if you're looking for more information from Cascadia Scientific, like how to get your mind plugged in, you know, go to robsreliability.com slash Cascadia. And then if you sign up for the trial, you're getting a coaching call with me. You'll get some bonus credits for consulting with Cascadia. And then if you get through the trial, you can come on the show and talk about it. Hey, Rob, thanks very much. It was a real, real pleasure talking to you today. No, I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. And, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely, I'm sure we'll, we'll have you back on in the future. Sounds great. Thanks very much.